Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. True faith is discovered in the midst of painful trials. The things that seek to derail our faith are actually the things that deepen it. This radical faith is not a feeling or a philosophy. It is practical, visible, built over time, strengthened in a trial, and sustained by discipline. James paints this picture of faith and gives us the principles necessary to produce it in us all. Hello. How are you? Good. That was real good. (laughs) So good for you. (laughs) Hi, I'm so glad to be here tonight to get to bring the word. It's so exciting. Um, We have been reading through the book of James together as a church. And this is our fourth week um, of the series, Tried and True. So how, have you enjoyed it? Yeah, me too. So if you, if you missed that first week, or maybe tonight's your, your first night as part of this series, we've been invited as a church to read through the book of James together. Now, it just so happens that there are five chapters in the book of James, and there are five days in a week. So we have challenged our whole church to read James chapter one on Monday, James chapter two on Tuesday, and so on and so forth. And then Saturday, you can either catch up or you know read whatever you want. And then we meet together here for the weekends. Well, through all of that, Matt has asked you guys to email him and just let him know what what God is teaching you through his word and some of those things he shared with the staff. And it has been awesome to see people who had never read the Bible before outside of Sunday morning or Monday night church, reading the word like throughout the week. Things, and it's, guys, it's so cool because After the first week, you'd think people would get tired of it. It's like, oh, I have to read the same thing again. But it's so awesome because like the same people who responded to James chapter one on Monday are responding to James chapter one again with something new that the Lord is teaching them. And that just goes to to show that the word is true when it says that, that the word of God is living and active, that it's continually moving and continually teaching something. And there it can never get old. And so I want to challenge you, if you've not done this with us yet, or to encourage you, if you, have, if you have, keep doing it. Start today. When you go home, go home and read James chapter 1. And tomorrow, read James chapter 2. And then let us know what God is doing through the reading of the word. Just email Matt, matt at vintagechurch.net. Super easy to remember, and we would love to hear from you. Now, for me personally, reading through the book of James... I had never really paid attention to how much James references and speaks almost directly from what what Jesus said during his ministry. The reason that that has really stood out to me is because I, I, I kind of realized that a lot of the things that James talks about and that he, he references, he would not have heard in the first person. Because see, James didn't come to faith in Jesus. He didn't believe that Jesus was, even though he was his brother, he didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was until after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And so I thought, how in the world did James know about all of these things that he told his disciples? Like, was he just like hovering around, just, you know, eavesdropping? And I don't think so. I think the reason that James 
knows what he knows from the mouth of Jesus is because James spent time with people who had spent time with Jesus. And it is so important for us as believers to spend time with people who have spent time with Jesus. Now, it's important for sure to spend time and make sure that we know people who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. But it is also important to put ourselves in relationship with people who do spend time with him. Because spending time with people who've spent time with Jesus, it gives you the opportunity to have someone speak into your life, to maybe see some things that that you don't see. I always think like, I know that there are blind spots in my own life, and I have had believers, people who spend time with Jesus, to come to me and say, hey, I... I, th- I think you're going a little bit sideways. Let me, let, me help, let me help get you back to center. Spending time with people who spend time with Jesus also gives us the opportunity to learn something that maybe we have yet to learn. We can be reminded of the things that we've forgotten. And so it's so important that you don't live in isolation, that when you, you leave this room and you leave this building, that you don't just go through the week like just kind of, me, myself, and I, but they, that you are intentionally putting yourself in the path of other believers. And one way that, that we would love to invite you to do that is through joining a life group. Uh, Ricky already mentioned tonight is the last night of life group signups for this semester. And there are several groups, and there are groups for men, for women, for young adults, for mature adults, all kinds. We have, we even have a life group for parents of kids with special needs because that is such, that is such a hard role as a parent. And you need people around you to surround you and to lift you up and to encourage you. And all of those are on our app. And we would, if you're like, I don't even have the app. I don't know what you're talking about. Would you just stop by that white welcome table on the way out and say, hey, I want to join a life group and I'm not really sure how. And we want to make sure that, that we can make that happen tonight because it's so important that you spend time with people who spend time with Jesus. Amen. Cool? All right. So tonight we're talking about James chapter 4. We're just gonna die right in. Now there's, there's 17 verses and I'm just gonna read them all, all right? Let's go, starting in verse one. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. But... He gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It was established before the universe ever began. And God, we know that your word will not return void. So let it minister to our hearts tonight so that we may hear truth from you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So James doesn't mince words. And this whole chapter is an invitation to surrender. That's typically something I would save until the end, like a good final point, but I want you to know up front that this is what we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna be talking about surrendering, about letting go, about giving up the fight. But before we can really talk about giving up the fight, we need to talk about what the fight is. We need to really examine the conflict. And he starts with this right in verse one. James says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. I love that fourth word, what is the source of the wars and fights among you? He doesn't say, what are the wars and fights among you? He wants to know what the source of it is. He wants us to really pay attention to what the root of it is because if we focus and fixate on what the problem is, what the war is, what the fight is, what the offense is, then we will try to fix the wrong thing. So we have to identify what the source of the war and the fight is. And he, and he says, don't they come from your passions that, that wage war within you? See, God designed us so that our choices, our thoughts, and our desires, and our behavior would all work in harmony with one another. And it would all be powered by this unbroken connection to God. But when sin entered the world, that connection was broken and therefore we were broken. So all of those things are our, our soul and our will and our desires and our thoughts and our behaviors and our choices are like all out of whack. They're all out of alignment. And that's why you 
constantly feel like so much tension in your life. It's that, oh, I, I know that I should, but the desire's not super there, so I'm gonna make this choice. And you constantly live in that tension of really trying to get those things back into alignment. But really, in order to do that, we have to realize that, that the conflict is because of a broken connection with God and that there's only one way that we can resolve that conflict. And that's through prayer. He says in, in verse two, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, this reminds us that, that an unsurrendered life is a life of conflict, but it's also a fundamentally unsatisfied life. When we live unsurrendered, we will absolutely live unsatisfied. And when, we, when we're unsatisfied, we might come to God and we might say, hey God, I need this thing. But we ask with the wrong motive because the thing that we're asking for is something, even if God gave it to us, it wouldn't satisfy the truest desire that we have because that desire can actually never be filled. James was a man of prayer. And that's why he points to this, this fact that you have, but, or you don't have because you don't ask. James had a nickname. It was a very flattering nickname. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Wouldn't you love to be called Old Camel Knees? Like you walk into a room and somebody's like, oh, look, there she is. There's Old Camel Knees. Wouldn't you love that? The reason he was called Old Camel Knees is because he spent hours and hours in prayer, regularly, repeatedly, so much that calluses built up on his knees from, from prayer, so much that it, it was like these thick calluses that looked like camel knees. Now, when I was in high school, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. My dad played and and I, I wanted to learn. So um, I, I started and I, I learned the chords and it did not take me very long to learn that playing the guitar really hurts your fingers. Um, but I kept, I kept at it because I really wanted to do it. And so over time, uh, my, my fingers like started to, they started to hurt. I mean, and they would like throb, like I could feel my heartbeat in my fingertips. But I wanted it so much that I kept at it. And the longer that I played and the more that I practiced, I developed these calluses on my fingers. And there were even like, like lines on my fingertips that showed like indentations of the strings. And I was actually really proud of these calluses, by the way. I stopped playing guitar, um, I don't know, maybe like five years ago five or six years ago. Um, that's about the time that we had a child because everybody knows that when you have a child, you no longer get to do the things that, that you really want to do. Uh, <laughs> please have lots of children. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just didn't have the time. I didn't have, to, I didn't have time to play. And um, those calluses that I'd worked really hard to, to build up uh, slowly just went away. Uh, my fingers are, are beautiful and soft now. Um, 
But last week, I, I wanted to, to get the guitar out and, and play for our youngest daughter. I realized, like, we've, I don't know that since she's been born, we've ever actually played guitar in our house. That was two years ago. And so I, I got it out. She thought it was great. But after about five minutes of playing, my fingers were, like, on fire. And it's, it's because those, those calluses just aren't, aren't there anymore. And, and as I, I, I reflected on James's flattering camel knee nickname, I thought, you know, our prayer life is that way too. That we might know the motions. Maybe we go through a season where, where we are intensely and regularly engaged in prayer. But then something happens and the season moves on and, and we kind of we forget to continue to go to God in prayer. And, and it's not that we forgot how to pray. It's just that we can no longer sustain a long prayer life without some sacrifice, without a little bit of pain. And, and I want to remind us that the, the reason that we go to God in prayer, the reason that, that he has given us this, this connection, this passageway to talk to him, is not to get a reluctant God to do our bidding, the reason that we are invited to pray is because we need to ask God to align our will with his will. That that is our ultimate prayer. So he, James says, like, you have, or you don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motive. What if all of our prayers were fueled by the motive of wanting God's will to be our will? Even Jesus in in the Lord's Prayer, he, he prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But God's will cannot be done on earth unless it is done in us. And we can't have God's will done in us if we don't know what it is. So James is reminding us to focus our prayer life not, not on the conflicts, not on what's going on, and it's not that we shouldn't go to God with our needs. God wants to give us what we need, but he wants to give us what we really and truly need, not just to satisfy our desires, not just to, to ask for and receive, you know, whatever want we have in the moment. But before his will can be done in us, there is a choice that we must make. And we can either make this choice deliberately or we make it by default. Let's look in verse four. James very eloquently says, you adulterous people. Now, in the Greek, it actually is you adulteresses in the feminine. It doesn't even say adulterers and adulteresses. It's just adulteresses. And it's not because he's only talking to the ladies. It's because he is reminding the church, that they are the bride of Christ, that he has saved them, that he, through this covenant, through Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and because of their faith in him, it is essentially like a marriage. And God is the husband and the church is the wife. And so he uses that word adulteresses and that strong language to say like, you are cheating on God. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. 
Or do you think that it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? See, God, when God's spirit is in us, he wants it to be only that. He wants that space to be only his. And in this sense, devotion to God is a black and white matter. It is this or that. It is not gray, it is not other. When we choose to love God, we must choose to love him only. So when we do not deliberately surrender to God, then by default we surrender to the world, to its rules, to its goals, to its way of doing things, to our flesh, and even to our own desire. And you might think like, no, 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 no. I don't do that. I would ask you, what is, what is your life centering around? Whose rules do you play by? Do you play by God's rules or do you play by the world's rules? Do you say like, the, the world says I will be successful in marriage if I do it this way. The world says I will be successful in business if I do it this way. The world says I will be successful in my finances if I do it this way. Or do you, do you look at God's way and say, well, God says like my marriage not just will be successful but will be holy if I do it this way. That my finances will not be something that I'm just like working for all my life but is actually used as a tool to build up the kingdom of God. Which way, which set of rules are you living by? Because if you're not deliberately living by one way and that is God's way, you will by default Live in your own flesh and live in your own desires. And you'll be influenced by the world around you. But when we do choose deliberate surrender to God, then some changes have to be made. And the first change that has to be made is our posture. Look at verse six. He says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Then jump down to verse nine. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Doesn't that sound like fun? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, in order to to deliberately surrender, we have to change our posture from one of pride to one of humility. And humility isn't something that can be manufactured. It's not something that we can just make up or pretend. See, humility only comes when we grieve our own limitations and acknowledge our own failures and our own shortcomings. And that can really only happen in the presence of God. Because apart from the presence of God, I think I'm pretty awesome. When I look at myself compared to the world, or some, some people in the world, or whatever, I feel like I'm pretty great. But when I stand in the presence of a holy God, I realize that I am nothing. That I am, my best and most beautiful efforts are like filthy rags. But what glorious things God can do with a filthy rag. We have to change our posture. 
when we get into that place of humility, that doesn't earn us God's grace. It just puts us in a posture to receive it. And he wants to give it, that that grace that says like, I'm gonna give you what you don't deserve. That grace that says, I'm gonna give you more than you think you're owed. It's that, that free forgiveness that he gives. You see, a proud and self-centered heart is the hardest thing to submit because submit means that you obey. Submit means that you give up control to another, that you acknowledge and yield to someone else's authority. And for some of us, that's super duper hard. To give up control, to give up authority over my own life, that is a hard thing, especially to someone that I can't even see. From a book that was written thousands of years ago, that is very, very difficult. And that proud and self-centered heart will make up every reason in the book to not submit. But in the presence of an almighty God, it's really hard to maintain that proud posture. I mean, even Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, even to death on the cross. So if Jesus willfully submitted his life, then shouldn't we? The second thing that we have to change is our position. Verse seven, he continues, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist comes from two words, stand against. Back in this day, if if there was like an evil spirit around, people would would buy a potion or an incantation or an amulet to, to wear around their neck or some kind of idol in their home to ward off the evil spirits so that they would not be overtaken by evil. But James says, no, 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 no. You, you wanna ward off evil spirits? You wanna resist Satan? Then stand against him. Everything that you need to stand up to temptation, you have already through the power of God and the power of his word. Let's read from Psalm chapter one. The psalmist describes it like this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. He says, if you are rooted in the word, in God's instruction, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. The reading the word, the reason that we're asking you to read along in in the book of James is not so that you'll be more in the loop when you're here. It's because we want you to have ready in your heart and on your tongue God's words so that you can stand against Satan, so that you can stand against temptation, so that you can stand strong and firm and knowing who you are because God made you that way. Even, yep, come on. 
even Jesus himself, when he was in the desert, before his ministry began, he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And what was the thing that he used to resist temptation? The word. He said things like, Satan would say, hey, Jesus, I know you're fasting and you're probably pretty hungry, um, so why don't you turn this, this rock into bread? And Jesus said, it is written that man should not live on bread alone. If even Jesus needed the power of the word of God to resist the devil, how much more do we? That is why it is so important to be in the word. Because that position, you have a choice. You can either be like a tree that is planted by water, that is rooted in the word of God, that is not going to move, whether it's windy or rainy or whatever, or you can be like a tumbleweed. That its position is determined by where the wind blows, by what this group of people's doing and you wanna be like them. What that magazine is telling you to do, what that Instagram influencer is telling you to buy, you have a choice. You can stand firm or you can t continue to blow around by the will of the word, of the world. The third thing that you have to change in order to deliberately surrender to God is your pursuit. Verse eight says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The pursuit is toward God. And I love that verse because there's a promise in there that tells us so much about the heart of our God. It doesn't say, draw near to God and he will save you. Or draw near to God and he will forgive you. Or draw near to God and he will cleanse you or he will correct you or he will bless you. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you because that is his desire, is to be near you, to be with you. And he believes that so much, and he wants that so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to be with us. And that is why we call him Emmanuel, God with us. He continues in verse eight and says, Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, he says two things here that are not meant to be separated. There's a beautiful word in there, and that word is and. He says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. See, cleanse your hands. He's talking about the outside. Clean your hands, wash your hands, get the dirt off. When you choose surrender to God, there should be an outward change. There should be a change in your behavior. There should be a change in the places that you go. There should be a change in the people that you spend most of your time with. There should be an outward change. But there should also be working on your inner life, that purify your hearts part. That's where, where you, you look inside. That's, that's where you, you clean up your, your thoughts and your desires and your motives. 
A.W. Tozer, who was a theologian and an author and a preacher, he had this idea that um, he, he kind of likened God living within us um, to, to there being like a, a room inside of us. And he said, if, if God lives in you and your thoughts and your motives and your desires are the furniture and the carpet and the decorations, is that room within you a place that God feels like he is welcome? Or is it a place where he feels like there is not room for me here? If my thoughts are the decorations around God, is that a place that he's feeling like, yeah, I need to, I, I know you want me here. Or is he like, I think we need to call Chip and Joanna. Do a little redecorating in here. That word and, you have to do both. When you choose to fully surrender to God, you change the outside and the inside. And you don't do it alone. God does that with you. It's a simultaneous motion, and it is also an immediate response. So when you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you respond immediately. I want to tell you a story about, just kind of my, from my own life. Um, I grew up in church. I have known the Lord, loved the Lord for as long as I can remember. I, there was never a time that I didn't believe in God or have faith that he was who he said he was. And at 10 years old, I made that, that belief public and official. And from that point on, I pursued God with a passion. Even as a 10-year-old, like I can remember reading the Sermon on the Mount in my Precious Moments Bible. It was light blue. And I, I remember highlighting verses in the Sermon on the Mount, just blown away by what Jesus was saying. But then I, I started to grow up and I got into high school. And while I still loved God and I, I wanted what he wanted for me, I also wanted some other things. I wanted... I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be impressive. I wanted to be not just cool. I wanted to be like the coolest of the cool. And so the only way that you can do that is by doing what the cool kids do, but better. And I, I pursued that because that's what I wanted. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to be admired. But I also still wanted God, and I, I still wanted to, to do all the things in church that I had been doing, and, and I, I wanted to keep teaching the, the children's choir, and, and, I, and I wanted to sing the songs, and I wanted to feel God's presence in my life, but I wanted that too. And so for a long time, for about four years, I went from this girl at the football, or after the football game on Friday night to this other girl at church on Sunday morning teaching the kids. And this girl here and this girl here did not look like the same person. And I worked really, really hard to keep these two lives separate because I couldn't let go of either one of them. And I did that for a long time. The summer after my freshman year in college, I was at a camp in Kentucky, I was on a ministry team. We were leading worship for this youth camp. 
And God had been dealing with me real heavy that summer. He had surrounded by me with some of the godliest people I've ever known, and I still know to this day. And the only book that I took with me was my Bible. And I read it every day. And one day I was walking across the campground in Maysville, Kentucky, and I felt like God saying, all right, Jasmine, that's enough. You have to choose. You have to choose which side of the fence you are going to be on now and forever. I am tired of you riding the fence and being on this side with some people and on this side with other people and you having it both ways. And he said, are you not exhausted? And I was. And here, I mean, like, I'm in the middle of this grassy field. And, and like, immediately I felt the weight It was like I was carrying a refrigerator around on my back. I felt the weight of the life that I had been living, that I was being worn so thin that I was going to break. And when God asked me to make a choice, it took me less than half a breath to know which choice I wanted to make. Because, see, I had grown up knowing the goodness of God. I knew what it was to have a life that was filled with his mercy and his forgiveness. I knew that this life with God would be infinitely more better and more beautiful than anything if I chose to go on the other side of the fence, a life that was away from him, away from his love, away from his presence, away from his protection, away from his forgiveness. Because I knew that I needed to go one way or the other. So in that moment, I decided to get off the fence. And not just get off the fence, I wanted to get off the fence and I wanted to run as far and as fast in the direction of God as I possibly could. I didn't even want to see that fence anymore. And it's not that when I chose which side of the fence to be on, it's not when I chose to to live a life surrendered to God, it's not that I was perfect. It's not that I never sinned or I never failed, but it was that every time I did, I knew exactly when I got up, I knew what direction I was going in. I had someone who is saying, come on, Jasmine, let's keep going, let's keep going. Because I realized for a long long time, I thought that God was like this dot that I was running toward. Like, okay, God, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live for you, I'm gonna run to you, I'm gonna go in your direction. But in this last year, I've realized God is not a direction that I am running toward. He's not a dot in the distance. God is running right beside me. He is the one running with me every step of the way so that when I fall, he picks me up. And he says, I know you fell. It's not great, but there is forgiveness here and we've got to keep going. Don't give up, keep running. Psalm 119 says this. Starting in verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I have sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating 
to keep your commands. I thought about my ways. In order to think about your ways, you need to have some time to think. Before you can even make the decision to turn your steps back. How often are you taking time to think about your ways? To think about the path that you are walking? Are we just walking around blindly and just living just like, and and not because of any kind of ill intention, but we're just trying to make it through the day. Could we take just a little bit of time in our day to think about our ways, to see, to ask God, do I need to turn my steps back? Because he said, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you ask with wrong motives. But I think if we asked God this, that he would give you exactly what you need. Take that time to think about your ways. And then that second part, verse 60, I hurried not hesitating to keep your commands. If you are living, if, if something that's happening in your life, you feel like God is saying, all right, hey, you, don't, you can't do this anymore. Don't do this anymore. Don't, don't look at him and say, uh, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, God, but like, I'm just gonna give it a couple more weeks and maybe it'll get better. I'm just gonna pray really hard that it just th- things just get better. And he's like, no, end it. Stop doing that. Or maybe you're looking for a way out. And he's like, no, 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 stay in. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. Maybe he's telling you to stay in something. Whatever it is he's telling you to do, hurry, do not hesitate to keep his commands. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Your invitation is to surrender. You do it up front. When you think about your ways, are there any ways that you need to turn back? Do you need to turn your steps back to him? What in your life do you need to surrender? Maybe you have never surrendered to God anything at all, ever. Maybe this is your first night here. Maybe you've been coming here for weeks. But you have never fully surrendered to God. You have never said, I believe in you and I have faith that you are exactly who you say you are. And I'm going to hold on to that faith and hold on to that belief. Because Jesus, you are so good And I don't understand it all, but I'm tired of fighting you. And maybe you just just need to surrender your whole life for the first time tonight. There's not a fancy prayer. There's not a document you need to sign. It's just an honest prayer from your heart. It just says, I believe in you and I have faith. Forgive me. Maybe you made that kind of decision a long time ago. 
but you're not like that tree that's planted firmly by the water. You're more like a tumbleweed. Maybe today you declare, today is the day that I plant myself, that I plant myself in your word, that I plant myself in your truth. And I'm not gonna be blown around anymore by the wind of the world and whatever my heart happens to desire that day and whatever I'm feeling. Maybe today there's something that God's just been nudging you. Just some tiny, it might just be some tiny thing or it might be kind of a big thing. And he's saying, will you just let me have that? Will you just turn that over to me? Will you just surrender that to me? Will you just give that up? And let, I just wanna show you what that looks like in my hands. Will you give that to me? If that's where you are, tell him, God, you've got it. You can just, you can open your hands right now. You can open them during worship to say, God, you've got me. I bow to you. Every single part of me bows to you. God, I want you to be Lord of all of my whole heart. Not just God, God of random patches in my life. Not just God when things go wrong. Wherever you are tonight and whatever God is doing in you and whatever he's asking you to surrender, you have freedom in this room. You have freedom to stand where you are and raise your hands and worship. You have freedom to sit in that seat and put your head in your hands and just wait for God to speak to you. You have freedom to come up to this altar to pray. You can grab somebody and say, hey, will you come pray with me? God, we give you this time and we thank you for your truth and we thank you that you are with us always, that you are running right alongside us even when we don't feel it and even when we can't see it. God, will you just give us eyes to see that tonight? Lord, hear our prayer. We love you. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage by downloading the Vintage Church app, where you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You'll also have access to our deeper podcast, which is a conversational deep dive into the message from the weekend. We hope you join us again soon.